0: Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone, right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no don't sweat, yo, cause there it is.
1: Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining me. Glad you are here because we have a great episode. First episode back from our little break where we gave you many episodes. We have a, a great guest today. It is Wayne Fetterman, an actor, a comedian, an author, a producer, a writer. He has done so much. You have definitely seen him a ton of times, like so many times, whether that was him doing stand-up, or him on a sitcom or in a movie. He's a guy who comes in, nails a scene, and he's out. It's a really great talk covering a ton of different things And we also talk about his book, The History of Stand-Up, from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. Why don't we just get right to it? Here's my chat with Wayne Fetterman. I know you performed a lot in high school. Uh, you were in a band. You did podcasting. Yeah.
0: How do you know this? I'm just, how, is this through Wikipedia, through other interviews? Like, how do a couple you, of other the dark web, where do you get this information? Where's a couple
1: this? of other interviews
0: and the dark web. Okay. <laughs> I,
1: I had to pay a lot. In
0: crypto, right, right, right. I threw I assume Bitcoin is how you yeah. pay in that world. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah,
1: I had to find out what it was, acquire mm-hmm. some, and then
0: pay people for yep. it. Yep. Uh, Transfer right. it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know how to do it again. So, uh, <laughs> but you did ventriloquism in high school.
0: That is true. Uh,
1: how that old were you true. when you started doing that?
0: About fourteen.
1: Okay, and I'm wondering if that is what brought you into loving comedy, or is there something before that that made you love comedy? And then that took you into ventriloquism.
0: Ah, no, I mean, I, I don't know, loving comedy. I was always fascinated by show business. I think I was, I was like the youngest in my family for a while. And then my mom had two other children with a different dad. And so I was like, you know, the classic i just think looking back it just seemed like i needed a lot of more attention than the normal kid Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i always gravitated to any kind of like being in a play playing drums there's drums behind me right now uh playing drums in like the school band and just like i just liked performing and i just had a knack for making people laugh even at an early age yeah at early age i was just one of those kids. So, but I wasn't a disruptive kid. I was a pretty good student. And, and then when I, um, I was like really into comedy. I was into comedy before I did ventriloquism. Definitely. I was, I'd listen to stand-ups and stuff like that. And then I discovered this ventriloquist named Edgar Bergen because I was into, and so he was, of a ventriloquist on the radio this is before television which is the craziest job obviously in the history of show business like <laughs> like a juggler on the radio it makes no sense <laughs> right but he was so funny and so great and just a huge radio star starting in the late 30s probably 38 i think he he really hit that show and so that got me into studying old radio comedians. And then I always I think I wanted to do stand up. I just I don't know if I had the guts to do it. And I just thought ventriloquism was like, oh, this is like a like a tricky way to get into it. So yeah, maybe you
1: you get to do a character and, and you as yourself is, mm-hmm. is not really the focal point in, in, in a sort of magical sort of like a ma- magician sort of move there to deflect and get
0: everyone to yeah oh
1: Jason the dummy and not you.
0: A hundred percent magic and ventriloquism They're definitely cousins or brothers or relatives. No question about that. But I will say one of the things that encouraged me right away as a youngster, when I started doing ventriloquism at 14, 15 was I used some old Edgar Bergen bits that I did. And then I wrote some of my some bits didn't work them out on stage, just wrote them out and did them. And they worked pretty well right out of the gate. So I was like, oh, maybe I have an aptitude for writing this stuff as well as performing. So that was like encouraged. So it was all encouraging to the point that I don't want to brag, but I performed at my senior prom. But oh, nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you did have a date other than the dummy at the prom?
0: Yes, Stacy. Okay. It was Buford, oh. Stacy, and Wayne. The three of us went to the prom. Oh, sweet. Unfortunately and- for <laughs> Stacy, she had to deal with the guy with the dummy. But
1: <laughs> I also heard that you did broadcasting when you were in high school.
0: Yeah, but that's the, the- <laughs> Jesus Christ, yeah, you- I don't know where you're getting this information. That is true, but it was limited. I just did sports. Reporting for my high school sports team. So they, I would call into the radio station. It wasn't anything crazy uh-huh. and and just tell them the scores of the game. That's cool though. And it, yeah, it was gumption
1: that, that you were an initiative that you were taking.
0: Well, it was, they, yeah. I mean, I get, I, get, I get gumption. I'm not sure, but <laughs> yeah, there was this is one thing I remember from that was that they were very adamant that. Uh, I think it was, God, I didn't want to say WWOK was the things, but I might be wrong about that. But they were adamant that you said W, not W. That's just something I remember. Like, if you're going to be on the radio, no one says W. They say W. You got to say the L. Yeah.
1: little I mean, tip. That, that, so that little is tip one of those you, things there, about radio. Because I was in radio for a little bit, and they—they are. Uh huh. Did they? they Did you
0: have that also?
1: I don't remember them necessarily with that word doing that, but I do remember when I had to read ads when I was a traffic Mm -hmm. reporter, how some company uh, that deals with realty was very adamant that we say realtor and not realtor,
0: which oh not oh so less to take so people add an extra syllable they say realtor. I think in the south cuz where I'm from. I think Where are you from? People... I don't know anything about. It. Let's find out a little bit. Enough about Wayne. This is boring <laughs> to me. Uh where in the south? Cuz I'm from Florida. So that's awesome. Oh, okay. South. I'm from
1: yeah. Uh, I'm from South Carolina and North Carolina. Yeah. But I mostly lived in South Carolina and that was when I started mm-hmm. uh, doing it was in South Carolina as an adult that I started doing radio. But I was fascinated about those sort of things as a kid too about broadcasting and and my brother and i were just nerds about all sorts of things yeah and i for me broadcasting was one of them even though i loved comedy and and was getting into that and also as a teenager wanted to be a stand-up but didn't didn't have the guts nor the means in all honesty to try to make a go at it so you know i wish i had had some opportunities to perform
0: wait a minute wait a minute let's go back so did you go to did you go to like a high school or anything like that did you attend high school okay so was there any kind of opportunity for a talent show or anything like that you could have done stand-up
1: there weren't things like that for stand-up i just don't remember seeing any opportunities then there would be now because there are open mics around town but there were not
0: any in no life. i meant specifically in high school oh, like that's what i school? did we had the theater oh. okay. but as far as you
1: know like solo performing there were just no opportunity i don't remember anything about talent shows or anything
0: no talent shows at your school i don't Interesting. think so
1: i really don't think so okay and i don't even remember maybe there was i saw in the yearbook there were some kids who had a band. But I don't even remember much talk about that. Just being around school, I just saw a picture in the yearbook about like these guys in their garage band. But they're—I don't know where they were playing. Okay. <laughs> so it's a very normal thing for high schoolers to have a a garage band, and that as you did as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes, I I played in a band, but not. It was more for wedding. Well, wedding. It was like a wedding band. It wasn't for like. Right, it wasn't like. <laughs> battle of the bands we just played old standards and stuff like that
1: so cool though i mean you're getting th- that's real chops that you were getting yeah as a teenager
0: mm-hmm. but yeah. i was i think i was a little more focused on this than you were because i was yeah. like like any opportunity for me to perform i would be like like even the senior prom thing mm-hmm. i remember i went to Jean Forsberg. I'll never forget her name. She was the teacher, Mrs. Forsberg, who was the in head of, like, the whole, I don't know, prom committee or something like that. And I said, can I do a set? Uh, can I perform at the senior prom? And yeah. she's like, yeah, because she had already seen me at a couple at the talent show, and oh. she saw me at something at the, um, I don't know if you had this in your high school. I'm just curious the way high school's. Again, I went to high school in the 70s. You probably went in the 90s. early 2000s or 90s. In no, no, the 90s, yeah, late 90s. In the 90s. Okay, so 20 years later after I did. And she, uh, we had something called Calendar Girl. Did you have that at your high school?
1: No, no. I, I, heard about such things yeah
0: so that was like a tad like we the hottest girls got to be like miss january miss february you know what i mean like the cheerleaders and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so we had a big like calendar girl night and so i performed that calendar girl
1: that's cool i
0: yeah so when
1: i was in elementary school at yeah uh summer camp i did a talent show but i was was a little kid right Did do stand-up at it jesus and There was one, two years in elementary, fourth and fifth grade, I asked the teacher if I could do a bit, because that was when I got into SNL, primarily Mm -hmm. Weekend Update. And I would ask the teacher if I could do material, and I just had written some Weekend Update-type like news jokes Mm -hmm. and did those in fourth and fifth grade. But I didn't take that initiative. I think just in high school... I wanted to get out of high school. <laughs> I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I really bloomed when I got to college. That was when I got you. I got gotcha, you. I got
0: gotcha, you. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I like to say that I peaked in middle school. That was my height for me. But yeah, <laughs> but so now I got it. That was you, so. You,
1: yeah. You have done so much after that. Yeah. Well, speaking of great things when you were in school, you went to NYU and you studied acting. Mm-hmm. Under Estella Adler.
0: With her. Yes. With that yeah. was the last class where she would teach like from the begin, like beginning acting right through. Yeah. Wow. Then she would just, she had a very famous class called script interpretation. Mm-hmm. We would She would talk about, she'd take a checkoff script and she'd break it down. It was just like, there were celebrities in the class. It was like a big thing, but we, I had like acting one, one Oh one with her. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was quite intimidating. Yeah, I bet.
1: I <laughs> yeah. bet. Was it something you, I mean, obviously she was a big name, so you'd heard of her, but did it mm-hmm. become intimidating as the classes went on, or did you go in intimidated by her?
0: No, I went in exciting, and it was, you know, very formalized. Uh, you know, when she walked in the room, the whole class had to stand up. Oh, wow. Until she sat down, and then we sat down. was yeah it was intense it was like old school uh, group theater stuff and yeah i just i don't know i mean i was a goofy guy so i was into like comedy plays and stuff like that in high school i mean at at nyu so i think a little of what she was teaching was lost on me just because i was more into neil simon than i was into you know tennessee williams right but uh it was incredible experience and and I, looking back, I always feel, and this would be uh, under my advice thing, that as important as working with Stella was and for inspiring me and focusing me, but I loved like who I met, like my classmates, like they were important to me as well as just people I've known, friendships I've had my whole life. Not necessarily like, oh, that girl got me a job or anything like that, but I feel like that's important. To know that, like, the people around you are very important to your health and your career.
1: Yes, that's yeah. so very true. And that's advice that I've heard from Seth Meyers, even something similar. He was saying, like, you know, get into a theater and meet people because doing comedy is a, a tough thing. And you're going to you yeah know, <laughs> people around you that you can. Uh, yeah.
0: Work with yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad and I agree with Seth Meyers. I yeah, <laughs> great. Um, I'm going to try to come up with one thing original on this interview <laughs> that a more famous person hasn't said before.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, he didn't say it on this inter- in this podcast. So okay. you're the first to say it on here. I know Thank that God. you. Thank thought, God. You, so you said you already wanted to be a stand up before you went to college, um, mm-hmm. went into the serious acting training. And I read that you wanted to be a stand up. Who was a solid actor? Why was that?
0: I just thought it was a smart. I, I, because I'd seen other people do it. Mm-hmm. I had seen like Freddie Prinz did that and he was a really great stand up. And then I saw Billy Crystal did that. He had a, mm-hmm. there was a sitcom called Soap he was on. Right. And, and even before, but even before then, there was like, Phil Silvers was a funny burlesque comedian who got a TV show in the fifties called, you know, the Phil Silvers show, or you'll never get rich or whatever it was called at the beginning. So I had seen that and I was like, Oh, this is great. Like this will be, a, I think a really smart strategy, like mm-hmm. do this. And so, uh, so it was a two track strategy from the get go. Right. It wasn't just like, Oh, I want to just be a comedian, and that's it. And I'm not even going interested in acting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't know if that affected my like how good a comedian I am or not. But my main focus was stand up. My secondary was acting, and yeah. everything else was yeah. way lower.
1: Yeah, and obviously there are a ton of stand ups who move into or shift into having an acting career. We've seen a ton mm-hmm. of that, but. Not all of them are necessarily solid actors or or gunning for being solid actors, but there are a ton who were. I mean, obviously, Robin Williams comes to mind. He studied it. Of course. Uh, You know? Yeah. And uh, Michael Keaton was a stand up. Yeah. You know, he started out in stand up. He was a funny stand up, and he's
0: such a great actor. Uh, Right. But he gave up stand up pretty quickly. He did. He did. He's a funny dude. I mean, there's no question about it. Well, no, the whole, I mean, the whole history of stand up, I mean, it's littered with comedians who i mean even look at bill burr today he's on like yeah uh, that's it's star wars show, uh, yeah. exactly that's right.
1: it yeah and he was in um pete davidson's movie yeah
0: uh, yeah, yeah. So king he- of staten island is the name of that movie and then yeah he also has his own you know he does voiceover for his own cartoon mm-hmm. so it was like I, I i don't think it's a crazy like oh my god wayne figured out that stand-ups <laughs> can also be actors like it was just something I wanted to focus on, that's all.
1: Right, and I think it's interesting that you wanted to focus on it in, a, in an intense way because I I feel like studying an, under Stella Adler is a pretty big deal and more uncommon to do it the way you did it, and I appreciate that. And you've parlayed that to so many acting roles, so much stuff. I, I can't even... Let's scratch the surface when it comes to your TV credits. You're in so many mm-hmm. classics. You you appeared on X Files. It's always yep. in Philadelphia, Community, uh, Doogie Howser. Comic yeah. Bang Bang, Living Single. Uh, Love it. Uh, yeah, Multiple
0: episodes of Living Single. Multiple yeah. episodes.
1: Uh, yeah. A famous episode of A Different World. Uh, yes. About, about race.
0: That oh, was it. a funny yes. That was a very, yeah. I was thrilled to be on that. Thrilled to be on. First of all, I thought that show was good.
1: I loved it. I so, grew up on it.
0: You did? Okay, yeah. So, you. yeah, I thought that the writing on that show was really funny. and
1: Yeah. And, uh, of course, everyone knows
0: you from Curb Your
1: Enthusiasm. yeah, yep. And you played Larry's brother on Larry Sanders' show. Mm-hmm. Super cool. One of my all-time favorite shows. And, uh, again, this is just scratching the surface of what you've done. I've left out other huge things that you've done. But one thing I'm wondering about in regards to Larry Sanders' show is uh, you were close with Gary Chandling, weren't you?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What sort of things did you learn uh, from him? I mean, uh, he's one of my favorite all-time favorite stand-ups.
0: Well, I mean, so much. One was to uh, a lot. He was a lot about being emotionally authentic in the moment of stand-up, as opposed to reciting the line and you know when this this is the way it works and that's what it is. Like, be a person up there so that was tough for me to do and he was just um he wrote so much Mm -hmm. he like wrote way more than i'll ever write in my career just reams and reams of yellow pads of papers and ideas to get to these great jokes wow so like that was and um I, yeah. So those were two main things I really learned from him. And to tell you the truth, this is the honest truth. The entire time I was friends with him and would hang out and go to premieres to, you know, hang, it was always a little bit of a like, oh, this is Gary Chandler. You know, it was never like, oh, this is somebody I came up with. I was always right, right. admired him, loved his stand up. You know, so. Did you play basketball it, with him too?
1: I know you like basketball. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 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 I was part of that Sunday basketball game. So luckily I can play. I still play basketball. Still play, you know, in in my Chuck Taylor's. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, I just loved the guy. I just it yeah. was like a, I just loved him so much.
1: Do you have any are there any funny stories from those Sunday basketball games that you were involved with? Cuz well, I've heard some legendary stories from those
0: <laughs> like someone's nose got broken at one of. Yeah, them so there was there, there was a guy yeah there was
1: <laughs> it's like someone I'm famous only... broke someone else famous's nose or something yeah
0: um i'm trying to think i mean there was one where bob costas was playing oh wow so i'm playing with bob Co- and i don't know if you know this i'm like uh i don't, I don't want to get made this offensive but i'm sort of a a guard trapped in a forward's body, like that's okay. the way I go through life. Like I'm a very, I don't like being in the paint. I've no, I can't have my back to the basket. Mm-hmm. I just like I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, a sniper. I'm a, an assassin shooter. That's basically my game. I play defense. I rebound. Mm-hmm. That's it. So of course, Costas, who's like whatever five five or something, right? He, he wants and me you're to like post up. Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah! Oh, wow, Jesus! Do you know my pin number? Also, uh, this, is I say uh- this is creepy. This is creepy. So anyway, he uh, he kept go. He's like, get down, post up, post up. I was like, I'm I don't want to post up. So we played. Costas was mad at me because I wouldn't post up. And then afterwards, we played on Sunday. There was uh, like a uh, we would watch football. We'd watch, you know, whatever the CBS and the NBC games. Or the Fox games, and the, so we're watching the game, and then Costas is making comments, and Gary turns to Costas and just goes like, "This is just too weird. Usually, I hear your voice coming out of that TV, and now it's you're right next to me. I, can you please shut up? This is I can't handle it." Yeah, was, it was really he
1: funny. was he like talking the way he
0: would on on the? Air? No, it's the same voice. It's the same, He's always it's the same. The he's always, he doesn't have an announcer voice. He just. You know, I mean, he's announced so many iconic moments in my life. Yeah. So that was, that's just one of many, just many. But to tell you the truth, I don't, I should maybe start thinking about that game a little more because Gary was very protective of that game. He didn't want you talking about it. Mm. I know one guy talked about it on radio and he got kicked out of the game. He just wanted a very private, non-show business thing, even though sometimes it's like, Oh my God! There's David Duchovny is playing. You know right. what I mean? It's like, so, um, but for, but it was like it was comedians like me. I wasn't a big time comedian or anything like that for sure. So um, I don't know. It's just a blast. It's just a blast.
1: Yeah, it sounds like anytime I hear about it, it just brings a smile to my face.
0: Um, do you play? Do you do hoop it up?
1: Oof, not in years. My brother and my cousin and I would play a lot more uh, when mm-hmm. we were much younger <laughs> than we are now, and I just I just haven't. I haven't shot around, but uh, I live in New York, and whenever I go to the village, area of the village, like right by Blue Note, there's that basketball court. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. but are
0: talking about the 4th Street one in the the cage?
1: Yeah, I guess guess that is that one. (laughs) I forget that it has a famous name, and everyone knows it. Yeah, Um, yeah. Anytime I go by there, there's a game playing, and I just love to just watch I love to watch it. Yeah,
0: that. those are fun games. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the most fun I have is that there's always one guy who's not that good, but he's trying to be the hero and he's always trying yeah. to hit the ball and he's always ruining it for his team. <laughs> uh, I get a big kick out of that. We we're talking TV though. I was wondering if what sort of lessons you've learned from those early days when you were first, you know, doing LA law or something that has taken you <laughs> through to now when you make TV appearances or the. Are there things that you've learned and you've always kind of kept?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, this is, I would say the old, this is advice. I got reading Milton Berle's biography and it's like, is to be good in acting for me and for me, I don't know. This is just for me is like the more these lines, I know them perfectly the easier it is for me because mm. otherwise it's just, if I'm reaching for those lines, it can get really tough. Okay. So, and I've had a couple bad experiences where I'm like, uh, I'm not quite getting these lines. Mm-hmm. So I'd really like to be comfortable if I'm comfortable in the, with the lines, then I feel I can do, at least have a chance of doing a reasonable performance. I know it sounds silly, but no,
1: no, that makes complete sense. I I think The more you know it, the more it feels like it can be natural
0: and can come out natural.
1: Do you have a trick for learning lines?
0: No, it's so now over COVID, I actually spent a hundred dollars to take another class on it. Like it's a real, it's a lifetime struggle with me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to really just have it just, it's just not the way my brain works. Right. So my brain is very improvisational. It's very much like, what's happening now? How am I processing this? Yeah. And so it's tricky.
1: A lot of times for me when I've done stuff, not that I'm.
0: Yeah. Tell I, me. I mean, this is maybe reason. I can learn from you.
1: Let's do it. I Let's don't know do about it. that. But for me, what, just what you're saying about what's happening in the moment, that oftentimes leads me to remember lines. Because Mm -hmm. someone says something, obviously people can memorize the lines and say, like, that's my cue line. But if you're – sometimes at least if the – I guess if the script is really natural in how it's written, then that's really helpful for me just because when someone says something and it feels a certain way, then the natural response is often
0: the line – and so it's guess, all, yeah, yes, those is- are the easiest lines to remember. When somebody cues you with something, you're like, ask you a question or challenges you. And those, n- no one has a problem. It's the lines where you have to drive it with a bunch of information that's it's like not related like or technical jargon. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to just reel it off as opposed to like, this is the way you speak all the time. That's when it gets, for me, a little tricky. Uh huh. I see. Yeah. No question. Oh, this I, is good. Oh
1: Yeah. Uh, so I imagine Kirby Enthusiasm was one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is exactly how I like to act. Because isn't it true that there's not like a full script? It's more like beats and outlines. A
0: hundred percent true. Whatever you're saying, that is exactly right. Which is why I think I've done, did my best work ever on television on that show. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, ah, oh, this is it. I don't even have to think about it. I just kind of know where I'm going. And then I can react off to Larry, and it's just easy for me. But I do know there are actors that on that show are just like, can you just tell me what to say because I can't really do this. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can see a lot of actors who they're scared of improv or they're Mm -hmm. scared of storytelling because they don't want to reveal too much. And they also just may not feel like they're funny. And so they can easily think, oh, well, if I – I don't want to be off the cuff here and say something that's unfunny or going to get me in trouble <laughs> cuz I'm trying too hard. Um, so I can see that with some actors, but
0: Right, right, right.
1: Uh, it sounds like it would be a very natural thing.
0: No, it was that's so funny you pulled pulled that out. No question. No question. Yeah.
1: I love that <laughs> he broke your glasses from the hug and was like, "Well, <laughs> you didn't break the glasses, but you initiated the
0: hug." Did <laughs> the hug which <laughs> broke the glasses? <laughs> such
1: a funny <laughs> direction to go with that <laughs> and i actually do i i think it resonates with me because i have a i always worry about my glasses getting broken when i hug someone. okay here, like, okay on you're, you're breaking my
0: glasses right now but
1: <laughs> only larry david would write someone actually pointing that out <laughs>
0: Well, this is the point. Like, all of that is from my imagination.
1: Oh, yes, that's right, because that was your line. You were the one who had the glasses broken.
0: Right, 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 right. So, and here was what was interesting about that scene, if you don't mind, real quickly was, like, I was like, how am I going to just, he was like, here's the thing. We're going to hug, the glasses are going to be broken, and you're going to ask me to replace, to pay for the glasses. (laughs) I was like, how am I going to do this that sounds reasonable right <laughs> to this guy anyway like so i kind of came up with it like just thinking about it when i was getting makeup on and stuff and i came up to him before i go i think i know the angle and he's like don't tell me don't tell me until uh-huh. we the cameras are rolling because he wanted an honest reaction to that so <laughs> did you so take- he didn't want to hear any of it before the cameras were rolling
1: <laughs> did you take improv classes Did you study? I
0: did a little bit, a little bit. And and I was in an improv company at, there was, when I did stand up in New York at the comic strip, we had a Monday night improv group and it was really fun. And this was just crazy uh, coincidence. At the time, Robin Williams, you had just mentioned him earlier, Mm -hmm. was shooting a movie in New York called Moscow on the Hudson. But a guy wants to defect.
1: And he's Russian, right? He's playing a Russian. Right, he plays a
0: Russian. guy. So he would come in and play with our improv group every Monday night for like, or every other Monday or whenever he was free. So it was like, oh my God. And they're like, you can't even keep up with that guy. That's a whole different level of it. But (laughs) so, but it was really, really, really fun. So yeah, but I never, you know, I wish there was like UCB was around because I really like what they did and taught and I bought, I bought their manual. That's my another recommendation. Buy that manual. Yeah. Can't get it discounted, can't get it on Kindle. Yep,
1: yep. You're also in a number of movies. You have a, a <laughs> just like your television credits, you have so many movie credits. A ton yep. of Adam McKay, Judd Apatow projects. Yep. How did your relationship with them develop? Was that did you meet them working in the industry and then get in something like how did you end up in in a lot of theirs? Their thing.
0: Well, uh, remember what I said or what did I say earlier? Like not, it wasn't Stella Adler wasn't the most important person. But when I moved to California, the first literally the first person I met was Judd Apatow standing outside the, the Laugh Factory on Sunset Boulevard. And he knew me already from my stand up work.
1: Because he, he was he, such a nerd. He yes exactly. School. He had a high school radio show where he was just interviewing Gary Shandling mm-hmm, and Gary Seinfeld, mm-hmm. and Jay Leno and he he has talked a lot about watching a bunch of talk shows and would be seeing people like you.
0: Right, right. I mean I had not done the tonight show or anything, but I I had a little bit of a reputation. So he was a freshman at USC and was already, the classic Judd, was already booking comedy nights at USC as a freshman. So he booked me on a comedy night and we just remained friends. We wrote together a little bit and we just remained friends all these years. And so um, some of those things he would just, you know, I wouldn't even have to audition for. Wow. And nice. then, um, yeah. And so that so people would see me in those movies and then McKay was like, hey, you could be the blind guy in this movie or something like oh, that. Oh,
1: cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and so then. But they were never
0: huge parts, never huge right. parts. They're always the little Fetterman and out, I like to call them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but those are. Yeah, you called it that on uh, Crashing.
0: Um, yep, yep, Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: when you do that. Oh, you do know the. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> I am also a nerd about comedy, just like <laughs> Judd Apatow. You, I know one of the things that is in Judd Apatow's 40 year old virgin Mm -hmm. that uh I've also heard you sort of make a joke about is uh hatred of Steely Dan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, first of all, it's not in 40 year old virgin, it's in knocked up. Then he makes the joke, yes,
1: yeah, no, yeah, get it right. Wait a second, no, but in the 40 year old virgin. Uh, oh, wait. Seth Rogen and, um, Paul Rudd are playing video games. And isn't it in that one where they say like Seely Dan gargles my balls or something like that? Isn't that in? Oh, it
0: does. So maybe he does it twice. Oh, yeah. All right. I stand corrected.
1: <laughs> I forgot it was in Knocked Up, but yeah. Jason.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have um, you
1: shared <laughs> a, a dislike of the band. How I don't.
0: Work? This is the thing is like, first of all, Judd loves steely dan
1: okay (laughs) loves them giving him a hard time okay yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) judd loves steely dan i like i appreciate steely dan but don't love them but i like making fun of sort of steely dan fans they tend to be a specific kind of person (laughs) who's a little more like intellectual when it comes to their music
1: oh yeah as opposed to uh,
0: like i'm a led zeppelin guy so it's like i like you know the, the people's music and they're like you don't understand it's the dominant seventh chords that they're I'm like i don't care i don't want to understand steely and i don't know if you know steely dan is named after a dildo the whole a dildo. thing that is
1: dildo it's such yeah a the weird... whole
0: it's the whole thing is so i find the anyway i don't hate them okay. i just i appreciate them but i like making fun of them because their fans go berserk
1: i i don't this <laughs> like them i can't say that i hate them i i also just like to make fun of my best friend of the show rob and he <laughs> yeah. loves them and he's always trying to talk about them and yeah. we're always like man they've gargled my ball you know like we just give him a hard. we love to give him a hard time and he's right. losing it listening to this conversation
0: i think there's another line that seth rogan says something like you could uh oh that's so funny yeah i i'd rather have my throat slit by an algero album or some <laughs> great reference yeah than <laughs> listen to steely dan
1: oh goodness yeah i gotta watch that f-
0: again yeah uh, <laughs> that's a good wow that's a deep dive no one's ever asked me about that very good
1: jay that's very good for here nice work jace <laughs> Um, so your experience with comedy and stand-up—they're—they're they're riding side by side. I mean, that was always you wanted the two tracks, mm-hmm. and 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 you did mention earlier you don't know necessarily how your Stella Adler training necessarily helped your stand-up or your comedy. But do you feel that your comedy and stand-up has helped how you perform as a as an actor?
0: Yeah, I think just being on stage that much gives you a certain confidence when you're on a set. I know it's slightly different, but it's still like, boom, you're on, you know, everyone quiet, you go, you know, that feeling. I've had years and years and years of like, oh, I'm walking up on stage. It's now my turn to talk. So I I think I'm a little more comfortable than your average maybe actor would be. Yes. So I do think, but not that much. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I could talk a lot about like, What is good acting? And I think a lot of it is being comfortable, like just so it's like you you're open to whatever the scene is.
1: Yeah, that makes complete sense. Is this the I I especially like the confidence it brings you on set. I have done improv for a while and there are Mm -hmm. some commercials I've done where they want you to improv improvise and I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not had that right training. And it does give you a certain confidence on on stage. Let's talk about your work with Don Rickles because you did Dinner with Don, and mm-hmm. Don Rickles. I was just talking about him yesterday, actually, about how there's something about Don Rickles that, even though he was doing insult comedy, you know, insulting people in the audience and using a lot of, you know, I, I just. I'm sure there's somebody who I think wrongly says that Don Rickles wouldn't be able to work today in this woke culture and everything, but mm-hmm. I, there were people were conscious of right and wrong and, and racism and bigotry of all kinds when he was famous, and everyone loved him, regardless of who they were, regardless of their background, and I think it's because he has, in his... Just deliverability in his delivery system, just something innate about him that made him feel like your buddy who's just teasing you.
0: Right. I don't Um,
1: know how he did that though.
0: (laughs) Well, he was a very unique, uh, very unique guy, and a lot of it was there was an improvisational aspect to it that also delighted people, Mm -hmm. like how fast he was, and and I don't know. I mean, he's. uh, I disagree with you. There were people that didn't like Don Rickles when I was growing up because they thought he was dealing in ra- racial stereotypes, and he actually got in a little trouble when he did comic relief for doing that. So it, was, oh, it wasn't completely, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't all smooth sailing for him. Oh, and. I because
1: mm-hmm. I've just seen so many different people. You know, I remember Denzel Washington talking
0: about how much he loved him. Uh, yeah, no, most people got that he was making fun of it all. It was just right. like, there's, there's the black guy, there's, you know, the uh, Japanese guy. You know, I mean, he would go, he would go. So it was, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I mean, he just had a unique, I think underneath it all was just a, Like, you knew he was just having, trying to have fun and be, you know, be the funniest guy in the room. Like, I think everyone got that. Excuse me. But for the most part, if you think of Rickles, he was like, he would be on The Tonight Show, so he'd make fun of Johnny. And so when Johnny was laughing, you're like, oh, okay, he's making fun of Johnny being from being rich, being divorced being from nebraska not taking care of his parents whatever the jokes were he would just he would go air, and carson loved it yeah. so i think that also gave him like leeway other people are like oh i see you just have to not take you know enjoy it you just have yeah. to enjoy it. but i loved god that was such a ridiculous job to yeah. work on that that show that's the last thing he ever did
1: yeah it was i i, I do recall this before his passing
0: and, yeah uh, we were actually going to do other shows and when he passed like there was other things on the book booked wow, so cool. it was yeah but one couple of my favorites was the snoop Dogg. Did you ever see the snoop dog episode no. oh it's on youtube you got to check it out because there's snoops into him because you know rickles loves like into old boxers and snoops into boxers so that oh, wow. and then at one point snoop plays like his big hit like uh, either gin and juice or snoop dog i don't i don't even know what that song is called snoop Doggy Dog." what's dog. my name what's uh, my name yeah 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 that's it so he was playing it and with his headphones and they were sharing mm-hmm. like uh, earbuds it was just incredible incredible oh wow and then yeah, so it was just beautiful. I... I just wish Don I wish Don was a little healthier when we did that show. Yeah. Just a little he was a little struggling. He was struggling a little.
1: Right. I've always just heard he was the sweetest man. And uh he was just like a mm-hmm. sweet, sweet, kind man, um to the point where it's like a night and day difference between <laughs> like the between uh well this
0: is my point i disagree with you i know he can you know the merchant of venom and all of that stuff but i think even when he was doing that you could see that he was a nice guy yeah i think that's the only way you could have gotten away with it oh absolutely talk to talk to when you talk to kevin hart when you have kevin hart on your show he has a very different experience with the records so really yeah yeah i don't want to paraphrase kevin but what let me just say is not as positive That's oh, my
1: interesting
0: yeah, I, yeah. I
1: have not heard that I just heard um, mm-hmm. I remember hearing Bob Newhart's story about when oh, okay. you know his wife met him and, and she was he, Bob Newhart was like look he is gonna be a different <laughs> he's gonna go in and be very blue and Bob Newhart's wife was like him That's, he was so sweet right. kind. It
0: was like, yeah, Well, here's the thing really is he never this is the thing he never worked blue he never said the F word on stage, never true, said, True. never any of that stuff. So he was, uh, he was just racial. He was just, right, <laughs> rac- right. just racial oh. and rel yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Relentless in that. And that's, yeah,
0: he was relentlessly racial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: How, how long did you know him before you worked on that?
0: I didn't know him at all. I didn't oh, know him. I mean, I saw him, I saw him numerous times on stage. Um, met him once, but, you know, just like after a show, there's no way he would have known me. Mm-hmm. And that was it. No, not part of his world at all.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know. I assumed maybe, uh, you got in on that show because.
0: I know that would have been nice. No, yeah. it wasn't okay. a, Chan- it wasn't a Gary Chandler situation.
1: Right. Okay. Okay.
0: That's interesting. You yeah.
1: Also, in other ways you've been behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, you've been a writer, You've done a yep. ton of writing work, and uh, I have to give a shout-out to Cheap Seats without Ron Parker. Uh, <laughs> you did, a, you worked on that a little bit. Uh, yep. I loved that show. I thought it was a ridiculous show. It was so funny. I mean, you know, it's basically, for those who don't know, it's like a sports clip show um, <laughs> that's comedy. It's sort of like The Daily Show or The Soup were about sports. So that's right. that's the angle there. I just thought it was a great show. The Sklar Brothers hosted it. Um, but you've done a ton of writing. You were the head monologue writer for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon that first year.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and why just that one year? Was it Were you brought on just to sort of get help the show get its legs?
0: I was brought on to launch the show. Mm-hmm. And again, I had never worked on a staff or anything like that, but I was... Performing with Jimmy Fallon, another example of performing with Jimmy. He was actually opening for me, mm-hmm. and he was getting ready to do the show. So, we, so we wrote new stand-up material for him, and then he was like, "Do you want to help me on this show?" I was like, "Well, I'm, you know, this was not my stand-up career. This was not my acting career. Those are the two. So I was like, "Oh, right. maybe this door's opening for me a little bit." So I moved to New York and we launched the show successfully. And I would say this is the honest truth. I was excellent at that job for about six months. And then I got a little, I got burnt out pretty quickly. Mm. And um, yeah, and I would say I was good at the job for the other six months. Okay. And then after a year, they were like, "Eh, that's enough. Thanks, Wayne. I was (laughs) like, okay, I get it. I get it. (laughs) But yeah, no, it was a phenomenal experience. I wouldn't have traded for anything, but I don't like getting up in the morning and writing jokes at 9 a.m. Like that's not my, that's not my deal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a different kind of animal. It's such a big machine, like working on a late night show.
0: Yeah. That's a, uh, that's, that's not quite, it's just not my rhythm and how I like to create, but I was so honored that he wanted me and I've done this, you know, the tonight show and he keeps having me back. And so It's great yeah but um no and it was fun it was a fun writing room jessel nick was in that room yeah and, and morgan and murphy yeah 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 so you know you know yeah obviously. yeah
1: um what you, you know everything about? about me you probably know my pace
0: got stubs from that week it's <laughs> a little creepy how much you know
1: i yes. mean i disregarded some of that information yeah okay that. uh i i feel like a lot of people get fallon wrong because i think he's super talented i think he's great yeah, yeah. What do people get wrong? What is it people are missing? If because they'll kind of roll their eyes at him, but I'll hear people like you or Mark Marin or Bashir, who also worked at late
0: night. Oh yeah, Talk Bashir about how and much uh, of a genius Di- he was. Diallo, Bashir and Diallo, Diallo? were. Yeah. yeah, I met those guys there. Um, I I don't know. I just like I I I don't know. I I I just think he's couldn't be more talented. I mean, he yeah. can do. Regular show, you can do act outs, He can do impressions. He can sing, he's uh super charming. He's a mo, maybe he's a little too effervescent and for television, you know. I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just trying to, I don't know. I, yeah. I, you know, he's doing fine. He gets he's a, a lot of people himself. tune into that show. That's yeah, like, he's
1: doing fine. I just, he's doing I fine. Wonder, he's, I wonder why there are people who roll their eyes at him. And I, yeah. look, people don't like.
0: Colbert, Colbert for certain yeah. reasons. Yes. Yeah. So people there's don't,
1: no one yeah. who everyone likes, but I'm always... All
0: not surprised. since Carson. Not since Carson. There's yeah. been no one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's true. You've also written for a lot of award shows. Uh, mm-hmm. You wrote uh, when Fallon did the Golden Globes. Did you also do when, yeah. when he hosted the Emmys?
0: No. No. Okay. Just the Golden Globes. But I've done a number of those. And, you know, mainly just writing that stupid stuff or. Two actors walk on stage and right. have to pretend to okay. be funny. But I, I've had some great moments of writing for... The The highlight was writing for Mel Brooks, obviously. Oh, so yeah. that was incredible.
1: Yeah. I imagine so, uh, a lot of... There's a lot of overlap with writing for a late night show and, and writing mm-hmm. for... Or, or a variety show. And writing for an award show. Because there's break. a lot of same sort of skills are trying to be used
0: a little bit, a little bit. It's monologue jokes are slightly different than those, those kind of jokes. And another one I loved, I wrote a bit for key and peel and I sent it to them and they loved it. They're like, Oh, this is like an old school comedy team. I love it. So, and of course they punched it up and made it way better. Of course, of course, because they're geniuses, those guys. But that, that was another highlight as well for me. Nice. Yeah.
1: And you're now teaching stand-up history and yep. performance at USC. Mm-hmm. And for my friends back home in South Carolina, that's not.
0: you going to reach to South Carolina? USC. It's- but where's USC in South Carolina? What campus? Where is that? Columbia. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but this is the Southern California USC, which is what USC is outside of the Carolinas. Right, right. Um, but you're also like the go-to historian for, I, for comedy. I'm
0: one of... There's a few of us. There's a few well, of us, but I like to be one of them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Could you have been on uh, CNN, both of CNN's docuseries? You're, there's one that's out now that's uh, the story of Late Night. I was sort of like we were talking before. You were just really into this stuff when you were young, when you were in high school. So you're you're drawing yeah. on all of that information, I imagine, but also... What you've continued
0: to study since then. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, this is going to sound embarrassing, but like, yeah, like I knew all of that stuff from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've just been around kicking around stand up for so long. Like, so much history has happened in my lifetime mm-hmm. of stand up. Like, there was no alternative stand up, no. a scene like that when I started. The clubs were just kind of getting going when I started mm-hmm. the, so it was like a lot has changed. And obviously, the internet is the hugest change to it all. Right. What's happening right now between me and you, Jason? Right. Jason and Wayne. Right now, this is all internet comedy. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. No. So I I was eyewitness to a lot of it. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And Which you is- parlayed that into a book, the history of stand-up. Okay
0: make it sound like as a, a money grab or something. No, it was I'm a sorry. it's a passion I, I, project.
1: It is. That's what I was going to say. It's like a, it's a labor of love that
0: you Yeah, oh, no question. No question. Yeah. Uh, the history of stand up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle, I call it.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to read it and uh I I'm just super excited about this book being out there for people to read. I know there there are a couple of options for people to read about maybe the history of or or videos maybe to see about the history of improv, but right Um, i I really uh am jazzed about there was some article that i read that was about i guess the 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 years of stand-up when rodney dangerfield was just writing jokes for people while he was selling like aluminum siding or something like that it was a very interesting Mm -hmm. read um but this book is gonna cover so much more than just that era yeah
0: i mean that the thing is, like almost every page of this book, and it's not that long, it's like 150 pages. It's a very easy read. Um, is could be a book in itself. Like just this morning, before I spoke to you, I was reading a book on Eddie Cantor. I wrote two paragraphs about that guy, mm-hmm. and there's a 420-page book in my bedroom right now that I'm reading about him. So oh, wow. it so same with Dangerfield, same with Carson, same with Letterman, same with any, you know, obviously there's been dozens of books written about Richard Pryor. Right. And so, so it's just like, I wanted to kind of contextualize the story. So, and then if you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm really interested. I'm really interested in Bob Hope radio years. Then you have to go and do your own, you know, because there's just so much of it.
1: And uh, do you think you'll ever do, you know, like you were mentioning, you were reading the Eddie Cantor book. You, your book came out earlier this year. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think you'll do another edition of it that'll add any information maybe about it? Well,
0: there's another like I said, there's another guy named Rich Scheidner and he does a traveling show called The History of Stand Up, America's Funhouse Mirror or so look anyway. He does this show where he kind of covers what I cover a little in the book. And we've talked about like collaborating, but it would be like a that's like a eight year project, yeah. you know, to really go From the very beginning, right through and I keep, you know, right through today, that would be just thousands of pages, right? So that would be like a real like academic. It would be great because we're both, you know, I think, well, I'll speak for Rich, Rich is a very fun writer, Mm -hmm. so I think we could do it. But um, but that would take years to write.
1: Does the history of stand-up, I imagine in your class that you're teaching, mm-hmm. teaching the history, since it's also about performance, are you showing yeah. in the class, like, teaching how to structure jokes through going through the history of, of stand-up?
0: Not really, not really. Because to tell you the truth, most, the, most of my students are born after the year 2000. They're mm-hmm. born. So they, you, you know, they went to high school and, like, 2018 or something like that they're still in high school mm-hmm. so they're uh, they don't care they they don't care about any of this stuff they're like oh i like uh, john mulaney let me you know so we'll talk about what he does okay we'll do, uh, right at the beginning i talk about what comedians do you like and why and then we'll break down those comedians we do comedian breakdowns on that oh, stuff really but it's funny. only comedians they like it's not okay it's not going to be comedians i think they should like or it's important None. Oh, that's just okay. bad te- that would be bad teaching oh, okay. but if so somebody you- comes in is like oh my god i love like last semester there was a kid who loves this comedian named james Acaster who's from england mm-hmm. who did, did that crazy mm-hmm. netflix yeah so i do not know much about james so i'm learning too like oh. so it's great for me as opposed to here take a look at phyllis diller or joan river you know it's mm-hmm. stupid I so, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we learn. I mean, there's some over there's some overlap of like, oh, this is the kind of comedian I like. But yeah, we I try to we watch them do a bit and then we'll do a what we, I call stand up breakdown, which is like, what are they doing? Are they doing first person? Are they doing a character? Are they doing an act out? Are they going back and forth? Are they being are they using exaggeration? Are they using? You know, let's talk about their timing. Let's talk about what they're wearing. Let's talk about how they're holding the microphone. Like, oh, you wow. can learn any of that from any comedian. Yeah. So it's like it's really fun. We have a the classes. The class sells well, sells well. Like it always, you know, we have it always sells out. It's just great. We have a really fun time.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's really great. Do they? Yeah. Do, do they get to do like a? uh showcase
0: yeah at the end oh, yeah yeah we cool. used to do it at the improv i don't i now we're i think we're going to keep it all at usc just co- protocol. protocol and right. all of that kind of stuff no yeah. that makes
1: yeah. sense that makes a lot of sense um yeah well i'm i'm uh gonna put that uh book in my amazon
0: card yes so i'm gonna get
1: that uh I'm really
0: oh, looking tell to me you. tell please you have my email tell me what you think if i'm missing anybody
1: oh sure yeah what you would know this. Weren't there a couple of comedy networks in the late 80s? Briefly.
0: Briefly, merged yeah.
1: emerged and then yes. kind of became Comedy Central?
0: Yeah, there was something called the Comedy Channel and Ha were two separate right. networks. They merged to become Comedy Central. Okay. It's I, in the book. It's in the book, guys. Good. Anyone I, cares? Anyone cares about what happened in 1989
1: and 90? I do, because that was yeah, when yeah. I got really into uh, stand-up. Right. Um, was was that. Was, like, seeing Ha... And then when I moved to South Carolina and um, I think it was Comedy Channel uh, that I could get a hold of there and um, then Comedy Central. And I would always watch those clip shows where they were just they were filming people's sets and just showing a joke of a stand up. Uh,
0: that was I- called. Um, I know the show you're talking about. That is called um, Stand Up, Stand Up, right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're at the end. Unfortunately, I could talk to you forever because I I, I love hearing what you have to say.
0: Ah, thank you. Thank you.
1: uh, You're very welcome. But it's time now to create something together. Uh, And I'm I'm trying to think what there's so many different avenues I think we could go with in uh, creating something together. It could be either writing for a late night show. Like, like how someone could or maybe mm-hmm. sort of structure you take in writing a, a monologue joke or uh, maybe even uh, the sort of approach you take to writing for an award show. I've never heard anyone explain how to do that, and I, I kind of would be interested in how people can...
0: Okay, this monologue. is the way they do it. Well, first of all, there's a <laughs> there's a board where you mix and match and we think, okay, this actor might be good with this one, or these are two actors from the same show. They have to be on together. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of, I like to base it kind of in the category. So let's say the category is best um, supporting actor. Mm -hmm. Then you're like, oh, it's, I'm out here. I, we're here to present the award for best supporting actor. And even right now, I feel like I'm supporting you by, Giving you the final line in this, and then they'll go back and forth. You know what I mean? So we'll like kind of base it off of that stuff. And like if they know each other, then we do stuff back and forth like that. If they don't, then it's much more difficult. (laughs) And (laughs) and here's the crazy thing, and I'm not is that that script then goes out to not only the actors but also their representatives. Yeah, and that's probably. And a lot of these actors have publicists. So they're like, uh, can they can my actress Cecilia say and the winner is I'd rather have her say that than this funny line. So because they want that's the moment they want to read the winner. Oh, yeah. They want to get their client (laughs) to read the winner more than they get the laugh. It's really interesting.
1: That is interesting.
0: So we yeah. So a lot of times we try to have them do two categories so they can flip so they don't get all upset about it.
1: Oh, interesting. That's yeah, why that happens. Yeah. That's why they do that. I
0: did. Yeah, yeah. that.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. I just watched one the other day. That was Steve. It was Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart. And I imagine when it's two people who know each other who are also comedians.
0: You right. Will,
1: they will work with you on it.
0: Right. Is yes. That, those it? that those are the best. Those are the best. Where I Send them something. They send me something like what I with Key and Peele. I sent them something. They're like, this is great. This is a great thing. Here's some notes. I would incorporate them. I send it back. They're like thing, and then right before they read it at the at a teleprompter rehearsal, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they're in their tuxedos, they're ready to go, and we read it through. And they're like, you know, I want to change that word. I want to flip that around. I want to. So we do it right there in teleprompter. So when they go out, it's fresh.
1: When you incorporate notes, do you ever? Because I, I, whenever I've written something in, or done a, an improv class, whenever someone has gives me a note i always feel bad like oh i should have known that or i should have been better when when getting no- i i know exactly it's a ridiculous thing that i do it's a- just it's something i whoever is speaking such negative self-talk uh, needs to get out of it. they need to stop yeah. having rent in my head but that's probably the best advice you could say is that but when you are yeah, it's notes, like
0: what? i want notes i'm yeah. i want them i want to hear what somebody's saying
1: yeah and then when you try to incorporate it, you are—it's almost
0: right. Like, and it, and if I think the person is th- what they're saying is wrong, I'll say I go I that's not right. I'll you know the way I always couch it, I go, that's not right for me. That's not right for me. You know, because I mean? then they can't argue. It's like right. it's not like oh, not that this isn't funny. It's like that's not right for me. Yeah. So, but uh, for the most part, I'm like, oh, let me try it that way. I, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I I.
1: Don't want to be too selfish with your time.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: I'll call it there. There it is. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciated
0: this, Jason, thank you for reaching out. So nice meeting you.
1: What a thrill it was to have him on. Thank you very much, Mr. Fetterman. And a big thank you to Sari Karplis, previous guest, because she's the one who connected us. I really appreciate that. Why don't you get his book? The History of Stand Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. I got it on Amazon. I'm really enjoying the read. You should pick one up too. And also follow him on Twitter at Fetterman. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And follow our YouTube at There It Is. Also, subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter and support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to thereitispod.com for newsletter and support info. Until next time, be good to each other.
0: The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.